Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. These balls have got names on of people that we're praying for who we know who, uh, they're not necessarily our best friends or even family, but, but, but they live um, close enough to the church that if they got saved, they could come. And we've been praying for these now for months. And Alpha begins in about, in about two weeks, the 1st of October. So I want to encourage you to keep praying for your friends, praying for people you can bring to Alpha. The Alpha launch event is at the Market House Pub, which is on Cold Harbour Lane. And we're hoping that the whole course will run there, although at the moment we don't have access to it for the whole course. But as I understand it, one of the owners is a Christian, and we're just trying to talk to her about is that possible to do that. Um, you also need to know that on the first, at that Alpha launch, um, the, the, we've got, Beacon have got its own little band, and we've got our worship band, we've got our own little band, which Josh and Ruth run. I, I mean, I've given it, I've called it a band. They're thinking, what are you talking about, Aaron? But they performed at our barbecue a couple of weeks ago, and they're also going to perform on the 1st of October uh, at the Alpha launch. So uh, they know that, I did speak to them. So even if you just want to support them, uh, come along on, on that day, even if it's just to support them. And uh, it was interesting being at the, the, the wedding yesterday. Uh, it was a great wedding. It was a great day. Uh, but what was interesting, and, and for me a little bit unusual, actually, was um, obviously Dean and Laura are both Christians, and they've both, certainly Laura's grown up in a sort of a Christian home. Dean didn't grow up in a Christian home, but he's been a Christian for... A number of years and yet I've got to be honest I think that their wedding half the people there probably weren't Christian and uh, you can always tell that at wedding because no one sings the songs the only people who are singing the songs the bridesmaids are like this or, or a couple of them are and there's a few other people who are and everyone else is like whoa and uh, and uh, you know although there were many more people there than there are here we made more noise this morning in our worship than we ever than there ever was uh, yesterday, and uh, I've got to be honest. I love speaking at weddings where there are lots of non Christians. I love it. I love it. I love saying things like, and you can tell when they look at them, what did he just say? I love saying Christian marriage is not about two; it's about three. What 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 you what are you doing? What are you saying? Because in the middle of the marriage is God. And, and you can see that they just, just doesn't make much sense to them. Uh, and, and it raises loads of questions. And we, we spoke yesterday out of a passage that they had given me. And it did lead to loads of discussions. So people were coming up to me afterwards and just talking. And particularly the people who aren't Christians, they're like, well, yeah, I really sort of, you were spot on there. And I was like, yeah, you know, this is what I thought. No. Which I wasn't right there at the time. That, that, that came out wrong. That really didn't come out wrong. But one of the things I did do yesterday was I read a poem, um, and I don't read poems. Uh, my dad's a poet. He's written poetry. He's got a book published. And I was amazed at the number of people who came out to me and said, gosh, I mean, you read a poem. And like, you read it like properly. <laughs> like I was, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So everything... 
everything that I've talked about thus far and all the notices and, you know, we have Abby up as welcome and all those things, they're all important. They are important. And, uh, you know, you have to make a, something run. You've got to make it work. You've got to do all those things. But I've got to be honest, those are not the reasons why I'm here. I, I'm not here to, you know, encourage you to get involved in the welcome team. I'm not here even to try and arrange meetings where we're going to come together. And I'm not here for those reasons. And, and this morning, I just want to talk a little bit about why am I here? And you might want to ask the question of yourself. Why are we here? Why am I here? Because all of that stuff is important. But I was talking to uh, someone the other day and, and they said to me, that they were talking about a friend who was like, who'd grown up as in, a, in a Christian home and going to church, had now come to the point where they weren't sure about God, they were sort of having thoughts about God, they weren't sure about whether that God's the right way. But they loved going to church. They loved the Christians and being around them. And I thought, oh, okay. And at one level you could say, oh, that's nice, you know, people like to belong before they believe. But at another level, it scared me. It scared me because I thought, how far away from the edge of Christian experience is Jesus? How much of the paraphernalia that makes up church and the Christian world do I have to get through to find Jesus? How much of it do I need? And I could live. Is it possible to live around the Christian world, in and amongst Christians, in the church, and never meet him? Never be challenged. Never get to the point where I think to myself, oh, do I need to do something about that? How far can that go? And so it scared me. Because I realised in church, as you will know, because many of you have been in church for a long time, there is much paraphernalia around the church. There is much stuff that goes on and we can all talk about church culture and this church does that and this church does that. Oh, there are so many good churches and we do this and we do that. And sometimes you think, do people meet Jesus there? What happens when somebody grows up in the church, wants to remain in the church, but now no longer believes in Jesus? How does that work? How does that really work? And so that scared me, it provoked me. As I just began to ask this question, why are we here? So I'm just going to read a passage from Philippians. Forgive me, there's no PowerPoint. It's paraphernalia. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would attend to these words, that you would attend to our hearts and that we would be changed in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Last week I was talking about, uh, started a series on Habakkuk. I've basically broken into that series just to really just set some scenes because uh, Phil said to me, why didn't you do that? I mean, why didn't you set some scenes? And he went straight into suffering. And uh, I'm quite, I quite like that kind of thing. Um, and then someone else said to me, why did you do that? I mean, why didn't you just like say hi, everyone? He went straight into suffering. Um, and so this week I just wanted to set some scenes, and it's, and it's this question, why am I here? All that stuff. So I've got five things, five reasons that I'm saying I'm here. And uh, for us to be able to focus on the real reasons, why should we be here? And the first reason is this. It's the reality of God. The first reason that I would say I am here is because of the reality of God. I was raised in a Christian home. It was a Christian home because my mum was a committed Christian. My dad wasn't. He was sort of religious, you know, in a West Indian kind of way. He was religious. But my mum was a Christian. She prayed and she sort of got us ready, the four kids, and she would bath us every um, every Sunday. and, And we would march off to church. And we did that every week. Every single week. In fact, I went to church in the morning. I then went home. I went to church in the afternoon. I then went home. I then went to church in the evening. And in the afternoon, it was hardest because I missed the football. And I loved football. And, and I couldn't play Sunday football. Not that I was ever good enough, but I couldn't because I went to church. Church was the thing that I did. And during that process, I, I suppose there's an element where I just grew to know about God. That's what you do when you go to church. Um, and my, my mum was very committed to that, and we were committed to that. We then changed churches, and having grown to know a bit about God, and I remember I made some sort of commitment at some point as a young, as a young lad, probably under 11 years old. I remember, I, I, so I remember these, when I say I remember these things, as much as I can, I am remembering them. I'm not just saying them, I remember them. I remember um, kneeling by my bed, and oh, was it my bed or the downstairs dining room? I can't remember. I remember kneeling down and praying for Jesus to come into my heart. And I went to my mum. I said, Mum, I've become a true Christian. If you knew my mum, it was, oh, praise the Lord. And she grabbed me and she kissed me and it was all very, she was all very welcoming and happy. And uh, I remember that experience, but I'm not sure that that made a massive difference to my life as I grew into my teenage years. I was a bit of a pain, not a huge pain, but I was a bit of a pain. I don't want to downplay it because Phil's here and he knew. Um, so I can't pretend I wasn't a pain. I was a pain. Um, but I was, a, I was a bit of a pain. But for some reason, I never stopped going to church. I always went to church. And um, I remember having moments where I experienced God or where something happened to me. And I, and I remember one of them, which was quite significant for me. Um, uh, we had a friend who was part of a youth group. We had a friend there, a girl who got saved. She wasn't from a Christian background. Um, she got saved, and she was on the ropes at one point. She was like, you could tell she wasn't sure whether she was going to make it. Um, so I was a teenager, and I remember, it wasn't, there wasn't any particular reason for this, but I remember praying for her. Not, not with her, but I remember being at home, and I prayed. And I, I really interceded to the point where, and this doesn't happen to me often, I prayed to the point where... Um, I remember stopping praying because I realised God had answered. I realised, oh, it's done. God's answered. 
And I remember getting up and, and walking off. And to this day, that girl has never lost her faith. And she's a pastor's wife. And you might go to yourself, oh, I mean, that's just coming. That could have happened anyway. I took it as faith. I took it as faith. I took it as, oh, God. I prayed that. Very specifically, I prayed that. And you answered. Yeah? There might be a million other things that people could say. But for me, those two things are connected. I took it as faith. Faith. So for me, there was this reality of God. I'd experienced him. I'd seen him. And in, and in this church, in the, the first church I was in, it was a wonderful church, very faithful uh, people. When we went to the, the new church, um, and I began to see people in those days, they were raising their hands, and people didn't do that in church, and they were dancing around. And I remember thinking it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I remember me and my brother laughing at this woman as she tried to, I thought, you can't dance. Yeah, I mean, at the, at, the, at the party last night, people were dancing. I wasn't there for that bit, unfortunately. Um, but people were dancing. And this woman was dancing, and it was church. And I thought, why, why dance when you can't dance? Yeah, that's, that's just what I thought when you're young and you're black and you think you can do all the moves. Yeah, and it's only as you get older you realise, oh, no, I couldn't, I couldn't do the moves. I thought I could. Um, but, but what I was experiencing and seeing were people who were experiencing God. Yeah, and you know, I couldn't deny that. I couldn't deny it because I knew that my own experience of God wasn't like that. My experience of God was I, I went to church, I sang some hymns, I went to Sunday school when I wanted to watch the football, I went to church in the evening, I fell asleep. That's what I did. Yeah? And suddenly I was seeing people who were exuberant in their worship and their praise of God. There was a reality of God in what I was seeing. And so I sort of grew up and grew into that uh, kind of thing and there were loads of hassles with it and there were loads of troubles for me but I could see that the next thing I realized as I as I as I look back was the importance of prayer so I, so I got to that point where I realized God was real and then I realized the importance of prayer and this came out of um, many years ago just being in a meeting I can't even remember where the meeting was but I was challenged about the quiet time. I was challenged about that bit in Mark where it says, every morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he went to a quiet place, and he prayed. That challenged me. I was being challenged by that kind of... Ben, are we doing something? Okay, cool. Let's do it now, then. So I was being challenged uh, about prayer. And, and in, in those days, churches talked about that a lot. People doing quiet times and all that kind of stuff. I remember being challenged by it. And I remember, and again, I don't remember the exact thing, but over a period of time, that became a habit for me. Yeah, I'm a teenager. It became a habit for me to wake up and to pray. Yeah, and that's what I used to do. And uh, I also remember prayer because I, uh, so I'm doing my own little prayers. I don't, I don't remember exactly the uh, the order of this but I do remember going to the church prayer meeting and feeling scared because I didn't know how to pray and I didn't have the courage to pray out loud and I remember being there and do you know what I used to do before I went to the prayer meeting I used to ask God to give me courage to pray yeah so I used to pray before I went to the prayer meeting because I wanted to pray and I didn't have the courage to pray so regularly I was praying God can you just give me the courage to pray at the prayer meeting yeah? So I used to do that. 
And that grew when I was just going to church and all those kinds of things. So I was learning to pray. I remember for a period of time, you know, I was a young man in my teenage years, every Saturday night, and I don't think, maybe it's because I didn't have any friends. Um, I, I believe it wasn't that reason. Uh, but I didn't, for a whole period of time on Saturday nights, I just used to pray. I just used to spend time with God. Just as me and God, just spending time with him. And so that reality of God had impacted me. The importance of prayer had impacted me. The other thing I knew about prayer was my mum prayed. So I observed that. My mum my was someone who prayed. Now, when she tried to get us all to pray together, that was awkward. I didn't like that. But I could tell that she prayed. She was someone who prayed. Then I discovered, as time went on in church, what I would call the humanness of church. I discovered that people weren't saints. That people did and said things that were wrong. That people made mistakes. And sometimes they did things deliberately that were wrong. I discovered that uh, over time when I thought, you know, I was thinking that this church was wonderful and we had some wonderful leaders and then when some changes came on uh, and I realised that some of those leaders were, were, it was all about position, I was like, I was shocked. I remember when I first saw the humanness of the church, I was shocked. I remember some of my friends, um, particularly some of the, the, the black young people, there wasn't many black folk that went to the kind of church I went to in those days, but I remember when they did go, some of them, you know, they, 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 it was all unintentional, but they received like there was racism and all that. It was all unintentional things that were said. And I remember some of my friends stopped going to church and they've never gone back. I remember all of this, this humanness of the church. And I remember thinking, oh, man, you know, I, I don't get this. I don't, I don't understand this. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought. This was my reality. And, uh, you know, probably like anyone else, and, and I remember, I'm not saying I was particularly picked on because I say I was a bit of a pain, but I remember fighting with the, the pastor's son on the stage after one Sunday evening meeting. I was sent home, and I remember other occasions where I got pulled in and told off. Um, I remember those things. Yeah? I remember that kind of thing happening. The humanness of church. Just, just that reality. I remember hearing about leaders that had fallen into sin. and I remember all of those things. And I remember also, but, but there was one thing that I was holding on to that I had obviously had revelation of, and that was, that was the me and God thing. Yeah? By this time, I knew God. Yeah? I was praying. Yeah? I was seeking him yeah? on my own. I mean, that, it probably sounds grander than it was. It wasn't grand, but I, I, that was part of the experience. I was doing loads of other things as a teenage boy, but that was part of the experience. I was seeking God, the humanness of church, things going wrong. And in our church, and, and things weren't working out well. And we, we, at one point, we ended up being quite, a, it was a church of about 300 people or so. And, and slowly, it just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And it was issues between leaders I didn't get it all and there was a temptation during those years to give up on church and think well you know I'm not doing this these people they're meant to be Christian why aren't they better than this but you know there probably are a number of reasons why I didn't give up 
But there was one real reason. There was one revelation for me that came again. I think probably I was late teens. I can't remember exactly when I had it. But I had a revelation of the church. I began to see that, oh God, for all the crap I observe here, for all the selfishness, you've chosen a people. And it's not about these individuals. It's about your purposes to pull together a people in order that you might display yourself to the world. Now, what I'm going to tell you now, I didn't think all of this at the time. Yeah, I don't remember thinking about Abraham. I've subsequently realized Abraham's the beginning of that story when God says to Abraham, he calls Abraham out and he says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and you're going to be a blessing. to Everyone who comes to you will be a blessing, and through you, I'm going to bless the world. God made that promise to one man. But he wasn't, it wasn't that he was intending for Abraham, the individual, to live forever and be a blessing as he went around the world. Abraham was going to have a son, and we heard that reading about Abraham's son. Abraham was going to have a son, and it was going to be the son of a promise because Abraham was going to take hold of what God said and said, I believe you, I believe you. So I began to see this picture of the church. And I remember being at one meeting and I was really, I had a personality, but I was a nobody in the church, really. I didn't have any role. But I remember at one meeting, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking around at all these people, and some of whom had hurt me, some of whom let me down, and I remember this love coming. Yeah? I don't, I've never talked about that, but I remember. I remember the experience. This love coming for the people. And we used to sing a song, and it was a sort of song I would sing, and I remember Pauline would laugh at me, because this was the kind of song I would sing, and... and um, it was a song and it said, it had this line in, I have seen the city of God coming down from heaven. I have seen the city of God and I cannot turn away. A dwelling place for God, enclosed by walls of fire and in the midst that mean, is Christ the Lord. And I remember I used to sing that song because something had happened to me and I'd, I'd seen this is about the church. Jesus came for the church. He didn't just come with this blanket, I'm dying for everyone. Yes, he died for the world, but he died for a people. He was going to gather to himself a people and he's going to come back for a people. And I remember for me, that was massive. That was massive. And one of the things it meant for me was this. I remember coming to this conclusion. Some people give two or three nights a week to go flower arranging. Or they give time. I had a friend at work who was into doing those sort of mock Tudor battles. He used to go away for the weekend and fight people with, you know, as if he was a 50th century knight or something. He used to do that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, some people do that. Gosh, I can give my time for the church. I remember thinking that. I remember having that kind of conversation with myself and it freed me from feeling guilty that I gave time to the church because I thought, do you know what the church is? The church has an eternal purpose. It's not going to end. It's going to go on. And I remember over, over a period of time coming to that conclusion, 
for all the problems that I saw, and I saw many, the church was God's answer. I remember. And, and at that point, I'm not a leader. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, It's not like I'm, it's in my interest to do that. I'm not anything in the church. I'm just a member of the church. But I had come to this revelation, this understanding. For all the issues here, this is God's way. And that was tested on more than one occasion. T- tested, I remember stepping out for a little while because I got hurt by something. I remember stepping out for a while. But I remember coming back and thinking, no. This is the way. So I had the humanness of the church, and then I had this revelation of the chosen people of God. And that has stayed with me. That has increased through all the years. So you know, I, you know, we were away over the summer, but you'll know that nearly every week I come to church here at Beacon. And even when we were away, I went to church. I don't come to church at Beacon. Because I'm paid by Beacon. Yeah? I, I don't do that. It's not like, well, yeah, you're the pastor. I, I did this. It has never, ever changed. For as long as I can remember. I, I remember even one night, it was a Saturday night, and we'd had a, a New Year's Eve party at, at the house I was staying in. And I remember us being up at 5 a.m. Yeah? I still went to church. Yeah? And I don't say that to make you feel guilty, because I'm sure you're doing the same. I'm saying that because that was my reality. I had more time off church when I joined the staff at King's than I ever did before. I thought that was bizarre. I thought, how is it I don't get, I get a bit paid to work for the church and I have weeks off? Yeah? So whenever we're on holiday, almost every week we will find a church. Yeah? I saw something about the people of God about the body of Christ. And I can also say I have benefited from that. Massively. Massively. Because I also saw in those early days a number of other things. And again, I'm just telling you what I observed in my church. I observed um, uh, people, you know, and and one, one example was very close to me. A couple got married and they left that church that they were in and they went out and to do their thing, and you know, it wasn't long before that marriage broke down. And I remember thinking, gosh, had they stayed around with all the natural support structures that were there, that might it might have survived. But when you take a relationship that was already fragile and you take it out and you put it somewhere over here, there's no guarantee. And I'm not, that doesn't happen every, everywhere. My, my, my brother-in-law, they, they upped and they left as soon as they got married and it's thrived. But, but sometimes it's a risk. And I realised that in the church, I realised I needed the help. I needed help. I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't be Christian on my own. I realised that we needed help. And Pauline and I needed help. The time that she walked out on me and she had a broken leg and she had hobbled off down the road and I was watching the football on the telly. I didn't know she had gone for half an hour. When I discovered that she was gone, I was like, oh my goodness, where's Pauline? Where's Pauline gone? And it was an embarrassing night. It was a Wednesday night. It was group. Phil came round to pick me up to go to group. He came round and I said to Phil, oh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, Pauline's popped out. Pauline's popped out. And I remember thinking, oh, I wonder whether she's gone to group. Now, I knew Pauline hadn't gone to group. 
She didn't love Creepy Nana. She didn't. She didn't, she didn't. I'm not saying I did, but she, she, did, she didn't love Group. At that point, so I knew she hadn't gone to Group. But anyway, we drove up to Group, and we just said, oh, just, just checking if Pauline arrived here. Oh, no, no, Pauline's not here. Okay, okay. So I went back home, and I was thinking now, hmm, where's Pauline gone? I don't, I, don't, I don't, literally, I don't know. I don't know where she's gone. She's, her foot's in a plaster cast. She couldn't have gone too far. The next thing I get is I get a phone call and Pauline says, I'm all right, and she puts the phone down. But I knew where she was <laughs> because I knew that she couldn't have hobbled much further than where to make this phone call. There was only one of two places she could have hobbled to and done that. And, and so I, and I, I guessed the right one. And we went and spoke to that, that couple, that couple that had been involved in our marriage preparation were now involved in our marriage support <laughs> because we needed it. I couldn't have done it alone. I could not have done it alone. I needed the church. I needed to be around other, other Christians who were bigger than me. I don't just mean physically, because they knocked me about a bit and I was humbled. I remember travelling to Romania with the church and I was really excited. I was 23 years old. We were making our first trip to Romania in 1990. I was the youngest person by quite a distance on the trip. I was really, really excited because it was the first time I'd been able to serve in my local church. I used to serve at the Downs Bible Week and other things, but I'd never served in the local church. So I was really excited. I went on this trip and I was sharing this van. I was driving this van 3,000 miles there, or I can't remember, 1,500 miles there, 1,500 miles. I was driving this van with a man, like a proper man. Yeah, I'm like still a boy. Yeah, And I remember uh, it was just... I, I just got a bit slapped around a bit. Not he didn't physically attack me or anything like that, <laughs> but but I couldn't I couldn't handle the man. Yeah, I, he wouldn't let me drive. He was just not very nice. I, I couldn't handle the man. Yeah, do you know what? I learned some things there. I remember other men in the church because remember I've also I've also understood the humanness of the church. I had this thing about, oh, you know, if there's a problem, I'll go and I'll sort it out. I discovered I was sorting out lots of things all the time. And some of them were with men. And I was thinking, but you're like a grown... Really? We, we still are like that when we get that age? We still do those kinds of things? I remember going through all of that as I learned. And I, I, I was humbled by just my experiences of being in the church and of serving the church but never losing sight of, oh, this is his people. Committed. No one ever said, sign up. I was committed. Yeah, I felt some sense of call, but do you know what? I felt that sense of call when I was 20 years old, and I, I remember being in a meeting where I stood up and I acknowledged, I feel I'm called to be a pastor teacher. And, I, and if I'm honest, I did it because everyone else in the room had said that. I didn't know what else to say. Um, and I did that when I was 20. I didn't even tell Pauline that when I got married, when we married. And it was 15 years before anything came through that, that meant that that was going to happen. And do you know what? I had this, this view of the church. If no one ever recognises this in me, I will not do it. I wasn't going to take myself to Bible college because I felt called. Yeah? It had to be recognised within the body. That was really important to me. And I've said this... Before, with Pauline, I remember saying to Pauline, you know, in the end, when it comes to working for the church, my love, you're the voice of God to me. Now, at one level, you think, oh, that's fine, because Pauline might have been right behind it. Pauline was not up for that. 
She did, it, in fact, it was for her, it was probably, oh, okay, I'll be the voice of God. You know. Yeah? <laughs> no. I don't see it in you. Those were her first words to me. Yeah? And I remember at times wishing I hadn't put it upon her. I, I was thinking, oh, God, if only I'd given myself an out. If only I'd allowed myself, you're the voice of God to me as long as it agrees. No. I didn't give myself an out. What it meant, which was good, was we never had big issues over ministry in our house. There was never a thing of me trying to do this or even her trying to push me there. We just didn't do it because I just left it. I left it. Now, I got frustrated with myself and situations, but I never said to Pauline, I never pushed her on it. Because I knew that in the end, if the church didn't recognise it, lone ranger ministries don't work. That's what, I was, that's what I thought. They don't, don't work. The church is the people of God. It's the family of God. Everything that needs to happen, happens there. So I had that thing about the church. And then I had this thing, and I'll finish with this because time's gone, about my own identity in Christ. You see, as a black guy growing up in a predominantly white church, I used to go to church every week. And it was wonderful. We worshipped Jesus and we loved him and we loved one another as much as that was able. But in the world in which I lived, race was a problem. But in the church, it wasn't a problem because we didn't even, we didn't even know. We didn't even know it was, a, we didn't know it was there. So half of the experiences I was having, they didn't come into this room. They didn't happen here. Or they, they happened here, but not in a way that w- was obvious. So I was battling with stuff out there fearful of skinheads on the street, worried about this, worried about that, coming into church, I was just, oh, for the warmth of your family, we love you. And I, and I realised that, oh, you know, I go to church, I love it, but I'm not quite like that. And I come out here, and I'm not like that. So what am I? I remember struggling for years with my identity. And this is no word of lie, this is true. I came to the conclusion, I said, oh, you know what? I'm not this and I'm not that. I know what I'll be. I'll be Christian. That's what I'll be. I'll be Christian. I remember coming to that conclusion and that really helped me to, to, to not worry about whether I met this cultural standard or that cultural standard. I just said, I'll be Christian. I'll be Christian. I didn't know at the time that that probably theologically is the most significant thing that we all need to get to. You be Christian. Yeah, you don't be white, you don't be black, you don't be British, you don't be this, you be Christian. You don't be man, you don't be woman, you be Christian. And I remember coming to that, and though it didn't make everything easy, in my heart it settled something. But I still had issues in the church, and I still had, particularly around you know diversity and race and how churches functioned. I remember going through those issues a little bit later. I was going through all those kinds of issues. And I remember thinking, do you know what? I might be better in a church where there's more people like me because then I, there's just loads of things I won't have to worry about. There's all the sort of cultural things that no one I won't have to worry about. Them. I might be better then. I remember thinking that and I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I could do that. But before I do that, I should at least try and find out what the Bible says. Yeah? Because what the theology of the day was, you know, um, we're all made in the image of God. 
Galatians 3.28, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, man nor free, we're all one in Christ. That theology wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to help me handle what was going on, what I was experiencing. So I did my own study from Genesis through to Revelation on the issues of, around, of diversity and all those kinds of things. And I was amazed at what I read to the point where there were moments I laughed out loud. I thought, God, <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. And uh, I, I haven't got time to go into all those details uh, other than to say probably the, 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 the pinnacle of that whole issue of people coming together who are different, we read in Ephesians 2 when it talks about one new humanity, one new man in Christ, and that, and that God took the Jews and the Gentiles and he brought together them together and he made peace through his son on the cross. And when I realised that, and I realised that this bringing people together was so fundamental to the gospel, it settled it for me. And not once have I then thought, oh, I should try and find a church that's more like me. The hassles are still there sometimes, but I've never thought that because I realised he settled it. He settled it. And, uh, yeah, my question at the beginning was, why am I here? That's why I'm here. I'm not here because I get paid by Beacon. I'm not here because, you know, you're a sad person, you've got nothing else. I'm not here for those reasons. I'm here because I've, I found the reality of God, the people of God, and I found my identity in Christ. I'm, that's why I'm here. You see, God can be known. God can be experienced. And God is to be shared. And yes, he's to be shared with the likes of you because this is the body of Christ. People should walk into here and part of what they see in here is Jesus. But he's also to be shared with those who don't know him. And that's why I'm here. That, those are the reasons. I'm not, I'm not here for, uh, for other things. I'm not here to try and keep you here. I'm here for that. And I just put out the question to you, why are you here? Why are you here? Let me read the passage from Matthew and then I'll close. Matthew 6 verse 19 says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not a finance person, particularly. Ben could tell you that. Kate could tell you that. Pauline could tell you that. Yeah, so I can't even pretend. But we know that when it comes to financial investment, sound financial investment requires time. You invest, you give to something. You don't move your investment every three months. That would be foolish. If you ask the financial advisor, look, I've got 10,000 pounds, I had it in a bank there, uh, that, that I wanna move it to another bank. They'd say, well, that's foolish. Just find a bank and leave it and over time it will grow. 
And it's the same for spiritual investment, treasure in heaven. You can't just keep picking and choosing your treasure, where you're going to put it. Because every time you withdraw money, when it comes to financial investment, it costs you. And every time you deposit money, particularly as you get older, you probably become a little bit more risk averse. And spiritually, I think it's the same. And the truth is, because there's another passage in the Bible that says, that talks about, you know, you either love God or money. Another way of saying that is you either love God or you love the world. You can't invest both financially and materially and spiritually. If you invest into the things of God, he may, out of his grace, give back to you. But you know what? He may not. If you invest in the material things of this world, you are not investing in the kingdom. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled to thinking, well, you know, you can sort of do both. You know, God sometimes, no, you can't do both. Either he is Lord or he is not Lord. And if he's Lord, if it comes back to you, it's grace. It's grace. If it doesn't come back to you, then there's still grace. But it's not easy. And so in the context of asking that question, why am I here? I want you to think about where your treasure is. I want you to think about where your heart is. I don't want you to think about what you sing on a Sunday morning, about sacrifice and giving up to God. I want you to think about what you do all the rest of the time. Because God is about a people in order that he might carry out his purposes in the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us by your spirit. I thank you. You know I am grateful for the reality of knowing you and walking with you. And Father, I pray for this community. I ask that you would continue such a deep work in our hearts that we might all be grateful for that reality of the walk, of the willingness to give it all up for him. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.